Apple Presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Allison Bales, film reviewer from War Magazine and WOR AM 710 Radio. Welcome, everyone. I, obviously, you guys are all here because you're Alan Rickman fans. He doesn't really need a big introduction. But you know what's cool about Alan Rickman is that so many of, his, of the characters he's played, like we know their names. And that, I think that's a sign of a great actor when the character becomes part of our collective uh, awareness. Hans Gruber, Colonel Brandon from, from Sense and Sensibility, and of course, Severus Snape. Um, <laughs> gee, are there some Harry Potter fans here? Uh, he's a great actor, tons of theater on his resume. He's only directed one film before tonight's film. This is his second. Um, it's a love story set in the court of Versailles in 1682. Interesting choice. I'm dying to ask him why he was drawn to this subject matter. And it stars the fantastic Kate Winslet and the wonderful Matthias Schoenartz, who I'm sure you, if you don't know who he is, you will very soon. Um, let's have a look at the trailer. The Palace of Versailles shall be the heart of our kingdom, with gardens of exquisite and matchless beauty. Heaven shall be here. Are you a believer in order? Order? Over landscape. Well, I admire it. This abundance of chaos. This is your Eden? My search for it. You're inviting new ideas into the gardens. Why? Welcome to Versailles. This project, is it worthy of us? She's very clever at what she does, I think. Why me? I watched her in my garden. I was curious. I've been issued an invitation to the Louvre. You see how they look at you? Give me a kiss instantly or I shall take grave offense. I am no one. What could the interest be? You are no one where everybody is someone. What is a woman of such restrained sophistication doing with Andre here? I speak from the opposite end of the fashion scale. I like it about myself. Answer, madame. Stop me talking. Your Majesty. A light, honest scent. Some of the roses seem faded and overblown. That fate awaits all roses, sire. Walk with me. Your wife does not accompany you ever? No. She's very popular. She dictates how we live now. There is someone you love? He is the most complete person I know. You look beautiful. Are you flattering me? Is that wrong? You're with that woman. A builder. I'm a builder, madame. So be it. We can flood the garden. Do it. Although the elements may treat us cruelly, in the end, we have only our instincts. Patience, care, and a little warmth from the sun are our best hope. It's a gorgeous film. Uh, obviously, Alan Rickman directed it. He's also in it. Clearly, he plays King Louis XIV, the sun god himself. 
please join me in welcoming Alan Rickman. Good evening. Hi. So, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, stupendous, beautiful. Um, sort of, I know who I know who shot this film, and it really looks amazing. Ellen Kuros, yeah, yeah. great, <clears throat> very rare. America, or not rare that she's American. Rare that it's a woman <laughs> uh, cinematographer, one of the few and one of the greatest. Right. We were talking earlier about um, how hard it is to sort of reduce this film to a simple, you know, throwaway line. Oh, it's about this, it's about that. Um, it's a love story, it's a feminist story, it's about landscape gardening, which is hysterical in a way. Well, that's a very serious film. Are you, why were you drawn to the subject matter? Well, you, I mean, when you, when you list it like that, you, you, you think you'd have to be an idiot. You're actually going to try and make a movie about this. Uh, but, uh, okay, so at its heart, it is a love story. Uh, but it is told from, it's, the script is by Alison Deegan. It's told very much from a woman's point of view. And it is about what it is to be, or to try to be a strong, independent woman in a man's world. And what she's done is to create a character for Kate who couldn't possibly have existed. So what interested me was the notion of it actually being a very modern story inside all this period trapping, which is frankly a huge annoyance <laughs> when you're thinking about the budget and the weather and the fact that aeroplanes don't come over in 17th century France and <laughs> uh, there isn't a motorway just around the corner that you've got to deal with. But I like the fact that film can take a modern story and kind of um, shafted into a period context. And hopefully after a while, you stop thinking about the background and you start thinking modern thoughts about um, the world that she's trying to operate in and what might be the parallels with still with the world now. But it has that lovely mix of the, some characters who did exist, the, your, the, the character you play, the King of France. And uh, Matthias is, except Matthias. he would have been 70. Right, he was very young and he was very youthful for someone in such an important position. Um, but that blending of the two, um, you know, so, so Kate Winslet plays a character, as Alan said, couldn't possibly have existed because she, she was a working woman um, in a man's world. Um, where do you think that came from, in the, in the head of the writer? I mean, um, to come up with a, a, gar a landscape gardener as well in the, in the court of Versailles. <coughs> I know. Well, Alison's a very passionate gardener. Are um, you? No. Not a gardener no, at all? No, I'm a passionate goer to gardens. Right. <coughs> and sitter in gardens. <laughs> in other people's gardens. <laughs> that they've planted, you know. Oh, this is very beautiful, thank you. Um, <laughs> No, Alison's a very passionate gardener, or passionate about gardening, and she's also passionate about that period of history. She's an actress. Her husband, Sebastian Barry, is a very celebrated uh, novelist and playwright in Ireland, and she'd had her kids, and she thought, I'm going to do something. And so she sat down and wrote a script. And because she knew I knew her husband, she put it in the post. Really? Uh, it's as simple as that, really, uh, in one sense. And then you pick the, 
this script up, which is 180 pages originally. And as I've, I've told the story before, but it's true, she is dyslexic, and so it's 180 pages of the only punctuation, and it was commas every three <laughs> words. So it was tough to read, but at the same time, a real test of the fact that you kept turning the pages and thought, this writing is really fresh and original, and not just because of a kind of Irish lift to the narrative or to the dialogue that is there, um, just because of her take on the story. It's, uh, I hadn't really read anything quite like it. The dialogue is quite beautiful. Um, you play the King of France. Uh, let's look at a scene where you're getting dressed up, because I think this is a scene where the, you, we, we're going to hear the language. Okay. Um, can we run that, please? Be it known that we intend to hold court at the Palace of Versailles within the coming month of May. Clap. Do you see how important it is to elicit the appropriate response? Yes. To this auspicious end, the finest examples of humanity shall embody the true glory of France in a palace of eternal and resounding splendor. Take note. Your eloquence they must love, your demeanor they must fear. I have further commanded that the greatest masters of France will realize this vision unparalleled in the history of the world in gardens of exquisite and matchless beauty. Heaven shall be here. No? <laughs> Wonderful. The, um, I love the way you directed this scene. I love the close-up on the clothes going on, the, king, the man becoming the king. It reminds me of the scene in um, Life of Galileo, the Brecht scene. All right, yeah. yeah. Tell me what went into your ideas of shooting that scene. Alison wrote a scene where um, Louis was making that speech to a ballroom of 300 courtiers. Those of us in charge of the budget said, we can't afford that. <laughs> so I said, why don't you go away and rewrite it as Louis practicing it in front of his children? Because I mean, only have five of them <laughs> on the floor. And actually, it's an example of how limitations sometimes free your imagination. And it actually turns out to be a much better way of, of doing it. Because of course, that's something else that could never have happened. Louis' dressing and levees uh, took two hours uh, with hundreds of people waiting outside to be then received. But the, the slow putting on of every item of clothing and the, the wigs and uh, the shoes and everything. And it was a huge um, event. Does it help your performance as all those clothes go on to become the king or not so much? Um, I, costumes help your performance, whatever it is, because there are, you know, it's part of the character you're playing. Um, whether it's an old sheet or, <laughs> or um, that kind of stuff, you know. It, and there are rules to how you walk and how you talk as, as soon as you put that on. You know, these are people who had dancing lessons and walking lessons from the time they were five. So the clothes are there. 
They're there to design, especially in Louis's case, to show off every part of your body to its best advantage. Those wigs were only invented by Louis because he started to go bald and he didn't like that. So he went to the opposite of bald, which is like the hugest thing you could put on your head. Thank God um, we didn't go for period accuracy because it would have weighed five kilos. Really? Um, well, and God knows what would have been living inside it as well. Uh, yeah. Well, thank God men these days aren't so vain. Um, when you wear all that stuff, do you think, oh, so happy I was born in the 20th century? Well, when you're trying to go to the bathroom, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Let's talk about Kate Winslet. You've worked with her before on Sense and Sensibility. Uh, stupid question, because obviously she's one of the best young actresses around, but why did you want her to play S Sabine de, de Barra? Uh, well, it's not a stupid question, but it's an obvious answer. Um, she is an amazing actress. Why is she an amazing actress? Because she works so hard, because the work ethic is so great, because she hangs on to a sense of humor, because she is a Democrat on the set and uh, utterly um, caring and sharing and listening to her fellow actors. Um, and she do, you know, she's, never, she's never lost certain things that I met when uh, we worked together the first time when she was 19. And also, the miracle of her work is she opens her mouth and you believe it. And if you're creating a character that couldn't have existed, a huge part of her job is to make us believe that she did. And she does. She's wonderful. Um, Louis Fourteenth was... I mean, he had this idea to build Versailles, the biggest chateau ever built, the gardens or restaurant. You have a wonderful shot at the end of the movie that pans up and we see the whole expanse of Versailles and the gardens. Um, he, he's a little cracked, it seems, to take on this venture. And I thought, well, is filmmaking a bit, like, can you compare filmmaking to what he was doing, sort of running all these different departments and making sure everything comes together for, a window to perfection. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he had uh, three producers breathing in his ear about, you know, we have three days here, you cannot go over. And he probably didn't understand over budget. He wouldn't have understood no. that at all. No, he could. What he did was took Lenotra by the shoulders and pointed at a mosquito-ridden swamp and said, build me Versailles here. And 18,000 people got on with it. Um, at some 000. cost, yeah. And then when we went to Versailles on a kind of field trip, uh, the Louis expert took us, we were in the Hall of Mirrors, and uh, he pointed up and said, number one, there were 10,000 candles that had to be lit every night here. And number two, this mural that we're looking at on the ceiling, <clears throat> probably within a week of it being finished, it was black from all the smoke from the candles. So. There's the madness um, and the vaulting ambition. And, uh, and even the fountains, the irrigation was such a problem that um, as he took all his people on the tour of, of all his beautiful um, fountained gardens, there's some poor sod running around and turning one fountain off and the next one on because they couldn't have them all going at once. <laughs> it's, it's, it's astounding, really. But go there if you haven't been, because it's breathtaking. Right. Um, I think the, the best scene in the movie is when you are in the, you're in a garden, 
having a rest, enjoying God, the garden, as you said. Your wig is off. And Kate well, we, I'm, mo- I'm very upset because my wife has oh, well, died. Yes, so it's not minor, just having a rest. But, you know, Louis XIV is not allowed to express human emotions and there's nowhere for him to be, to be quiet. So you're right, he takes himself to this little garden and sits there, and, but removes the trappings. And then Kate comes in and she thinks he's a gardener. Yeah. So, so Kate Winslet's character thinks he's a fellow gardener, so she's not scared to talk. You have this wonderful back and forth conversation that becomes very profound. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, you're the master of minimalist facial acting with one eyebrow, perhaps. So I think we have to show them the clip. <laughs> Can we show them the clip in the garden? And what of you, Madame de Barra? What pulse drives you? There's someone you love? I cannot say. Why? Because, because of something private. What is so private that it cannot be shared in love? The time has come, madame, for us both to face down our past and live in the present. I shall write a letter from one gardener to another, shall we say, in return for seeds sown. It will bring you to the court, where my eye will always be on you. I shall not forget our day in the garden, Madame de Barra. wasn't exactly the clip I was talking about. You'll have to go see the film to see the, the lead up to that, that moment, which was priceless. Lovely bit of comic dialogue in there. The film is also a love story, as we mentioned. It's not just about uh, gardening, as I so trivially uh, refer to it. No, I got, just to allay people's worries, <laughs> the film is not a history lesson. And it's, it's not, not about gardening. It's not a gardening book. Uh, it, it has a carriage crash. <laughs> there's action, there's love, there's um, some hanky-panky in a ho- in horse and yeah, carriage. But it's one, it is once upon a time, definitely. Yes. It is that. So tell me about casting Matthias Schoenertz uh, against Kate. Well, it was um, a, a wonderful serendipity, really, inasmuch as when I cast Kate, uh, she was the right, when we were ready and funded, and uh, she was the right age to play the part. And I'd been working on it from a time when she probably would have been too young to play it. Um, I was filming in Belgium. I had seen Rust and Bone. Matthias's name was mentioned. Uh, and I thought, well, he's a wonderful actor, but he's Belgian. And we all have to be speaking the same language with the same accent. Uh, so I looked him up on YouTube and uh, he was giving an interview about Rust and Bone in LA with perfect English but with an American accent. So we just had to yeah, iron out the American bit. Well, have you seen Far From the Madding Crowd? I mean, he's in that with, with an English accent. Well, he did that after English. us. After you? Your, we he's, helped. He's, you helped. You said he's, he's clearly very good. And if you haven't seen Rust and Bone and Bullhead, which is yeah. phenomenal, you have to go see those. He's, an, he's also a wonderful person. And what uh, 
the surprise and is there, there's a beautiful sense of humor there and a great smile. So you don't, kind of, that was my worry from having seen Rust and Bowen. And then I, I was in Belgium filming and he, the point was that he was in Antwerp. Uh, so I could meet him like a half an hour's drive and this big smiling person came in the door, so. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that, you know, you've been working on this for a long time, since, since Kate was too young for the part. Um, I know it takes a long time to, to get films made, and I know you're very busy with, with your theatre work and other movies, but why? This is only the second film that you've directed. Well, because of Harry Potter, because... Um, you said it. You said you yeah. didn't mention it. Oh, well, I have to. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's the truth. Uh, you know, when I started that in, what, 2000, I was, there were only three books, and I didn't know that I would be, have anything to do with the fourth or the fifth. Uh, and, uh, and I finished the first film in 97. So there was three years, and then suddenly there was 10 years when I couldn't direct a movie, because you have to have a year, a year and a half completely free. And although I was doing, making other movies, being on stage, um, directing in the theater, I couldn't direct a film until I had finished with Harry Potter. Let's open this up to the audience now. I'm sure there are lots of questions. Hi, Mr. Rickman, how are you? Uh, my name is Scott, I'm a huge fan of your work. My question is, I mean, you've played such iconic villains over the years. Um, I wanna know, we didn't really get a, a look at it Two from the trailer. The t two of the top five most iconic ever, probably. Um, and I was wondering, does this film have an antagonist? Um, it looks like a romance story, but obviously sometimes in those romantic stories, it's the one that gets in the way that really is the, the villain at the heart of a story. Is there a villain at the heart of the story? And uh, w would, uh, you know, thank you very much. Well, um, as an actor, words like that are anathema because you can't put a label on yourself, otherwise you can't play it. So anything cool, as far as I'm concerned, if I'm playing something that you call a villain, I'm playing a perfectly nice person who just wants stuff. <laughs> you know, he's got his own agenda, it's different, other people call him that, as far as he's concerned, he's right. Um, so um, I think in this film, because it's layered, I hope, and complex, and in a way the antagonist is life, uh, and people are trying to come to some kind of uh, negotiation with their place in the scheme of things. Yeah, the, uh, uh, Helen McCrory, who plays Matthias's wife, is the person who tries to uh, put a spoke in the wheel of the whole operation, yes. But I hope we also show her vulnerable side. You know, there are reasons why she does that. She's. Uh, at that time, yeah, there would never have been a there would never have been a woman in a professional job. There were women who were cooking, cleaning, sewing. At the other end of the spectrum, there were women standing around looking pretty, and until they stopped looking so pretty, and then they got dumped. So Helen McCrory is playing the woman who's very aware that she's uh, clinging to the wreckage. Um, and so that's what I mean about the film having, I hope, modern connotations. It's not a million miles away from what goes on in the film industry for female actors. Um, do you want to call her a villain in the film? You might, but I wouldn't. I'd say 
she is who she is, and her agenda is her agenda, and she does what she does to survive. That's a very good answer. So this woman is in the she's in the inner circle of the king, but she's she's about to be ousted. Just like, um, like well, she's she, she's well, in she fears, danger she of fears. it because she knows there's another woman who's taking his affections. Her place in court is assured because she's married to Andre Lenotre, but she knows that Kate Winslet has right. arrived on the scene. They are they've been in a loveless marriage, but it's suited them both uh, to maintain their positions and certainly maintain hers. If he leaves her, she's going to be this. How's she going to survive? So, <laughs> she gets she's, busy. She's pretty villainous. <laughs> um, right down here. How did you decide to both act and direct in this film? And could you address the challenges and benefits of doing this? And um, how did you go about preparing to play such an iconic historical figure as an actor? Um, well, I didn't decide to do it. There was huge pressure from uh, the, the budget. <laughs> <laughs> I leave you to work that one out. Uh, you know, if, if the director plays a part, they're not so pushed to actually pay you because they know you're going to be there anyway. So it, it just helps in putting together a financial package. I wasn't that keen, but he's not in that many scenes. And, and the good news about Louis XIV is that he doesn't move anywhere. <laughs> he's a fixed point and everybody comes to him. So it physically made it a little easier. Um, having said that, um, you know, it was a great pleasure to work with Kate again and, and going about it, uh, you rely on a lot of other people like Kate. Uh, when it comes down to a scene like the one we have in the film, acting is, is really just about listening and I'm working with somebody who really listens to me and so in order to uh, feed her so I should give her the same gift and then suddenly acting becomes a lot less difficult than people think it is if you focus on the other person and not on yourself um, this is coming from a 16 year old's perspective so I wanted to know what the purpose of this movie was why did you do it and what would set it apart from like every other English 16th century movie what would set it apart? Because it seems really, really interesting. Go with that. <laughs> um, I think you'll find that it, that it is really, really interesting. Uh, I hope what you'll find is that, as I was saying earlier, when you start watching it, uh, and I know this from screenings of the film, uh, it's often a trap when period costumes appear because people go, oh yeah, right, I got the picture and out will come the fan and then they'll start talking in a funny language and, and it won't feel like anything to do with my life. Uh, but it's an escape but it's quite a pleasant one. Although I would have to say that I was in one that wasn't like that called Sense and Sensibility, which I think is a profoundly truthful piece of writing uh, because it comes from a truly great writer, Jane Austen, and Emma Thompson wrote a truly on uh, a script that honored a great writer. And um, sometimes you learn more about humanity 
when the story has some quite rigid rules. You know, you don't have to just, four-letter words don't have to appear every other word for you to feel something truthful about the way people uh, interact. And I hope profoundly, and I believe, that this film has a lot to say about the way men and women uh, come to some kind of, or could come to a healthier negotiation, if you like, with each other. This film, nearly the last lines of the film are a woman saying, what about us? And a man saying, we will shape each other. That's not a 16th century thing to say, and it's not even heard much now, but it should be. So keep with it, it seems interesting. Um, Mr. Rickman, thank you so much for coming. Um, the okay. question I've had in mind is, what were some of the most challenging parts about making the film, and how did you overcome them? Well, as it turns out, you know, you can't always know at the time, but, um, but for, again, for reasons of the budget, we shot the whole film in England, uh, not in France. So you discover that the benefit is that England has a history of stealing other people's cultures. <laughs> so not only can you go to the British Museum and see the Elgin marbles, but in some of the buildings that you'll see in the film, there are genuine 17th century French interiors that have been picked up and put down in them, and so we film in them. Um, however, England is also challenged by weather and, uh, and also um, the fact that it's quite a thin country. So, as I was saying, one change of the wind and suddenly you're on a flight path and so the scene between Kate and I, I don't think we did a take that went on for much longer than about 45 seconds before a plane came over. And then the poor sound guys are coming out from a bush, having twiddled their knobs, but they can't get rid of the motorway that's just around the corner. Um, you have sun, cloud, cloud, sun, wind, still, cloud, sun. So then you get back into the editing room and you think, how are we ever going to cut this together? Uh, so fortunately, England's also full of great technical experts. So uh, the grading departments turn a cloudy day into a sunny day and, and vice versa and somehow or other, because you think this is going to be impossible. Um, so uh, what timing, we shot the whole film in 40 days. Uh, and it's a huge undertaking. When I looked at the call sheet every day, God, how are we going to get through this? Uh, time, budget, weather. Usual thing. And probably somebody with a vast budget will tell you the same. Right. I'm afraid that was the last question we have time for. Please go and see it, though, because it's, it's not as effortful as it sounds. No, it's delightful. <laughs> Mr. Alan Rickman, thank you so much. Thank you very much. And we look forward to your next film.